Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Hello, everyone. This is Anime World Order. We are back, and this is episode 150. Good lord. Actually, I guess technically we've done more shows than that, but that's what the number says. So yeah, I was about to say, that number seems so low, yes. just because we've done so many episodes that were like part A, B, and C. Yes, yeah, we've done a ton of those. I think the number's probably closer to 200. We are back from uh, Anime Week in Atlanta. The hurricane did not kill any of us, thankfully. Lots of life events have happened. I am Gerald Rathgolb, and on my left is Daryl. I'm your right-hand man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on my right. This is Daryl Surratt. I am more or less alive from the hurricane, maybe less alive due to the lingering allergic reaction to uh, horrible creatures known as cats. We'll be talking more <laughs> about the awful tragedies to humanity that cats can unleash upon existence later on this episode yes <laughs> and on my left hey i'm clarissa so did you have to like stay with somebody who had cats daryl yeah to stay at gerald's for a day oh okay <laughs> i didn't realize you like went all the way up there yeah just there was a, a midpoint because the anime week in atlanta was just recently concluded and so we drove up instead of flew up and so i went to orlando and then from there we went to georgia in atlanta. oh okay i thought you meant you like stayed up there like for the hurricane no or something. no so. it's been that long since the cats have just destroyed me <laughs> yeah he was prepared to go down with all of his nerd memorabilia just, right. So, just you know, like there's that, that video game, <laughs> Sunset Riders, from Konami. It was an arcade game good in the one, 90s. Very good like one. Western. And uh, when you kill the first boss, his final words are, Bury me, bury me with, with my, my money. There's a and, pause uh, there. Bury me yeah. with my money. Money. Well, so that <laughs> is very similarly um, <laughs> with my geek memorabilia. Bury me if with I my lose it all, porn. Well, no, it <laughs> can't be buried. It has more to do with also similarly the final words of Green Arrow before he got blown up. Like, what good's an archer with one arm? What good is a nerd without accumulated detritus of things? All that's left is uh, knowledge, and we don't have any. So I uh, stayed here, and uh, it missed. So there we go. Yep, we all made it out, no problem. On this particular show... We're going to be talking about a very special movie from the uh, quote-unquote golden age of anime. Yeah, I guess special is a good way to describe it. Yes, known as I-City, or as it was known in Japan, I-Shitty, which is probably how this movie would describe itself. No, so, listen, that's not true. This is uh, Love City, as it says in English in the title. There's a lot of English in this title, and we'll get into that as we go on. Fine. Because I think uh, this is another forgotten classic of the cyber city oedo caliber but we'll it's, get into it it is very memorable indeed let's see before we get to uh, talking about awa i think we should perhaps knock out one of these emails and so we have one here from francisco francisco it says hi guys 
I am a recently new listener to your podcast. I'm a big fan of you guys, and I get enjoyment in listening to your guys' knowledge about anime and manga. I do take issue with you guys. You guys said Code Geass was awful, which I highly disagree with you guys. He says guys a lot. In my opinion, Code Geass is a classic. It is easily in the top 10 of all anime. Everything about it is great. The story has you on edge of your seat while you are rooting for the main hero who is sometimes a villain as well. I love it. What is your guy's problem with Code Geass? Cisco. I would like to note that I do not hate Code Geass. Well, it is now the 10-year anniversary of Code Geass. Hard to believe that it's been 10 years since since that show has been out. I uh, definitely have my issues with Code Geass. I think Code Geass might be one of those things where we all feel the same way about it, but our end feelings end up being very different. Well, I mean, okay, I wouldn't say that Code Geass is like a bad show, because I think that in a lot of ways there are a lot of things about its production that are very polished and very well done. Like, it's certainly not just completely amateurish, it's not incompetent, but at the same time... It's completely ridiculous. And so I would be a little bit hesitant to maybe say that it is like a, an entirely like good show, but it is an incredibly entertaining series. I was in pain every moment I was watching the show. It was, I could not deal with it. The thing is, there is shitty shit, which is terrible, but endearing at the same time. Like we might be talking about today. Then there we is have the, nothing terrible to talk about today. Nothing, nothing at all. And then there's the, <laughs> and then there's the shitty shit that really thinks it's like really amazing and like hardcore and uh, just it just comes off as you know try hard and that that's kind of how I felt like Code Geass. See, I'm not sure if I believe it actually takes itself that seriously. I guess it just felt like it was taking itself very seriously to me. Some of the leaps of logic that it would take especially the big, like, incident that happened, you know, that got it its second season, was so dumb that I... No, that first season ending is so perfect. I could not they deal... they more. They made more of it. That's <laughs> now, the problem. here's what I would say and... about Code Geass. I can sum it up in three words. Code Geass is chuny as fuck. So... Yes, mm-hmm. that's He's true. got an eye that is possessed... <laughs> That's Chuni right. prerequisite number one. Mm-hmm. He's a special teen who is so much yes. cooler than everybody else. That right. is Chuni as fuck number two. In, in fact, so, he's, yeah. In fact, he he is better at diplomacy and everything else than all the adults are supposedly. Right, right. And so I think perhaps if you yourself are Chuni as fuck when you see Code Geass for the first time, yes, then <laughs> it is without flaw and without peer. But if you are twice the age of the Chunidom zone, then it's just like, get this Chuni Brio fuck shit out of my face. <laughs> yeah. Basically, we've never even explained what Chuni Brio or Chuni means, <laughs> and perhaps we never should. It, but, it's, a very, um, it's kind of hard to translate. I don't know if there's a good single word in, a, in English. Edgelord. Edgelord, 14 years old, you know, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it's for that age group of high school freshmen who knows enough to think that you know a lot, but don't really know shit to actually be considered someone who knows something. Then yes, Code Geass seems like it's a super awesome thing. But the older you get, the more you're like, all right, sure thing, Harry, you were pulled from the wizard hat, you know, and you're great. But it's less that 
the fundamental concepts are bad. Certainly, like it's got some nice mecha when they actually are seen momentarily in each episode. Yeah, uh, character designs are certainly super sharp because Clamp can bring it. I think it's just very haphazardly written in a way yes. that yes. is unintentional. I think it really feels like, and I know so many anime are written this way, but it really does feel like it's written week to week, episode to episode with the idea being of how do we surprise people? How do we, right. well, there was no source material. Like most of the time when they make an anime, they're adapting something that already exists, but code Geass was like an original story. So like most original television, it's like, what do we do with this week? <laughs> Which by all accounts should mean that they should be able to do whatever they want and be amazing potentially. But the writer for this is not that talented. The writer basically just kind of came up with stuff on the spot, did not like plant stuff early in the show. That's one of the reasons why the big sort of incident that got it, its second season frustrates me so much because it literally comes out of nowhere. And it's a swerve. That's the idea. It's swerving you. But like my issue with Code Geass is that it's booked just to be like a shocking thing happens each episode. And they don't really right. think about what the follow through of that needs to be. They're just thinking like, oh, wow, sure. Let's I mean, do it's this. a total train wreck. This would be amazing yeah. if we did this and they do it. And then they're like, ah, we've done that. Oh, but now what do we do? It's <laughs> Shit, like, now what do we do? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that's really yeah. my continued disdain for Code Geass is that it's it's this Vince Russo WCW Nitro circa 1998 uh, or Thunder as, as the case may be <laughs> you know just nobody would expect this person to suddenly be evil why is that nothing oh, just do that and then it's like okay but then next week you know we've, we were sort of building to the, it's like well just keep going like, as long as we throw out something else that's crazy people will forget about that previous crazy thing <laughs> that we did and focus on this and so it, it spirals on and on and on and so that that's the the crash TV train wreck as people have used to refer sure. to it yeah. aspect of it, which then because of the success of code gas ended up becoming a, a legacy for multiple shows, which followed after that, that were like, let's outdo code gas. And they had like guilty crown and valve of the liberator. And, um, Oh, I and still haven't watched those. Okay. So, yeah. A lot uh, of people hate those shows. Holy shit. Yeah. But there's also like a lot of people, air quotes like oh let's just watch this to see what the fuck they throw out next because right. it's kind of like throwing darts at a board and yeah you'd never expect that to happen because things don't really follow too closely to the laws of logic and common sense of like right. okay a to b it's, it's just like all right this is crazy but it's like in this chaotic neutral means never having to say you're sorry kind of crazy as right. opposed to a crazy that's like a, a Kazuo Koike like this makes sense to him but nobody else I don't disagree that that Kogius does that overall I disagree about the specific instance that you were talking about with the the season one ending well that was just an example of multiple things in that show that it just threw out and I suppose some people find that entertaining I was just rolling my eyes and like, okay, if I were 14 or 13, maybe I'd be impressed. But when you've seen this a lot of the time, it's not doing anything special. And these, so there, there are some tokusatsu shows. Are you that too embarrassed by your chuny past, Gerald, that you're, you're not able to embrace your, <laughs> your inner chunibio? I embrace well, that. Well, let's see if I think I can get to the bottom of this. How many shows are there where the main character has a weird fucked up eye with abilities that are good. 
There's other there's than a Goku Midnight Eye. There's a couple, which is perhaps <laughs> the ultimate. Uh, my yeah. eye is is super, but I'm talking about supernatural, spiritual. We're talking Black Butler. We're talking Rental Magica. You know, like we're talking like these sorts of shows where it's like right. it's the, the power is sealed within my eye of like a, a demon or whatever. I think if we you iterate down that list, because that's you know Chunibio element. <laughs> Yes. Uh, alpha uh i uh, maybe gerald doesn't have as many of those because i'm, I'm trying mm. to think of like hmm how many how many powers are in in this one eye yeah i can't think of the the only thing i can think of is goku midnight eye that might be the difference between the the goofiness of a show for eight-year-olds and a goofiness show for 14-year-olds is cursed eye and Possibly. Since uh, a guess is, of course, going back to Dungeons and Dragons level spells that compel you to do a thing, certainly somebody should have gotten a saving throw versus this at some point. It never <laughs> seemed to happen. Uh, clearly, this is in violation of the Dungeon Master's Player's Handbook. That's two books that I just mixed up and combined into one. I never played any Dungeons and Dragons, so... I'm trying to give you a way out as far as, you know, what you see here, and you're knocking down my house of cards <laughs> as we speak. But you know I don't play House Dungeons & Dragons. I thought that maybe, you know, you're were roped into it at some point. Never. Um, but I don't know how old Francisco is, but if it says easily in the top 10 of all time anime, maybe if you've watched 10 anime. No, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume he's <laughs> no, about 16. So. No, um, there's there's no way to know, but I would, it's certainly possible. I mean, there's definitely a lot of things that I've had that is issue older with than where. we are. I think this person is in their near forties. That's my guess, because I know a lot of people who are either chuny as hell or like a decade older than us or five years older than us, and that's like the people who are like, oh, Cody, this is awesome, because you know you do realize that it's alternate history, man, makes you think. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that it's continued on. Look, I think Kogius, if nothing else, gave us Orangikun and Spinzaku. And Pizza and Hut. But they took the Pizza Hut out <laughs> unless you go and download like a very, very version. old Digisubs. Right. right. Yes. And I, I have not. Has anyone watched Akito the Exiled? No. No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, perhaps the saga of Kogius, despite ending quite conclusively in the second season, continues on to another extent knock to the exile i feel like we've been bringing up code yes repeatedly over the last few episodes but i think we're not done yet because i'm gonna have to bring it up again perhaps in the next episode when i talk about not quite code yes but its sister show because <laughs> we finally are on the hook for, for paying off the promise of um six months ago at this point uh, because I have to talk about Gundam 00 and I feel like Gundam 00 to Code Geass is very much like a two sides of a similar coin not quite Spider-Man to Venom but maybe mm. Venom to Carnage or Venom to Toxin as far as uh, so does he have the special produced, eye to run to fly yeah, Gundam? produced alternatingly with no. one another similar issues exacerbated further in their second seasons uh, we'll get into it right yeah I think 00 was I think first season was not so bad. I think second season was when they were kind of like, fuck, what do we do? Yeah, and maybe it was the Code Geass infection uh, that kind of took hold. We, we, we You don't think it's more of like a, you know, the legacy of like Gundam Seed being then ruined by Gundam Seed Destiny? I, well, we'll talk about that because we did, we have to go into why these things happen. Um, that's true. But that's going to be next episode. Anyway, certainly Code Geass, when I go to the conventions, I 
didn't see like a huge overswelling of people like still carrying the flag for it, but it's still people right. show up for it. People still remember it. It was still this thing that a lot of people did watch on Cartoon Network. A yeah. lot of people mm-hmm. did watch it at that chuny age, which is the yeah. age you're supposed to watch it at when you're in middle school and you're like early in high school that had fond memories of it week to week. But if you ask a lot of those people, did they continue to watch it for the second season? I will bet you money that a lot of them simultaneously with that second season found their interest in anime waning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and maybe walked away after a while. It, it was definitely yeah. something that, that was sort of a flavor of the week, maybe flavor of the month. I don't know. I, I haven't seen a Code Geass cosplayer in a long time, but I'm sure that every con still I mean, I wouldn't them. say it's been forgotten, but not quite. at the same no, time, like, still, yes, I mean, they're still not... producing animation for it. I doubt many people are watching it, but it's still happening, so... No, but I mean, I still see people mention it. Like, it's not like... It's it, not it, completely yeah, like, you gone. Don't see a lot of, no. You don't see a lot of cosplay for it or anything anymore. It doesn't have that kind of, like, enduring, like, solid popularity, but I very few things do. No, very uh, few, yeah. But at the same time, like, yeah, I, I don't think it's a case where people, like, have either turned against it or just completely forgotten that it existed. It's not, uh, like... Harhi. Uh, well, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, I was thinking more of, like, a lot of that 90s stuff that just has completely vanished from... Right, like, the... it can't even be watched anymore. Right. Well, I mean, of, of, of the things people remember, I think Harhi is a good example, because I think that second series of Haruhi turned people so much against the show. Well, yeah, I mean, Endless Eight was such a shit show. Yeah, and we were just at a convention where not only Johnny B, the voice of Lelouch from Code Geass, was present and accounted for, but also Yutaki Yamamoto of Haruhi Suzumiya was in the cut, and that is Anime Mm -hmm. Week in Atlanta. How would you compare the Johnny B reception to the Yamakon reception? Well, I know you went to all the Johnny Young Bosch events. Yes, yes, clearly I was there in line. No, I wasn't. But I'm pretty sure that as it is with every convention everywhere, the English voice actor will get enormous lines and huge groups showing up. And the Japanese, as we saw, the Japanese directors, the Japanese talent can fill maybe 20 seats in a room. <laughs> so, so and- yeah, I guess uh, we, we did go to AWA's press. We wanted to actually talk about our excursion there this time what went well what was different what was perhaps a little odd yes i'll let you uh start well anime week in atlanta was held for ooh, must be coming on the 10th year or so in the uh renaissance waverly hotel cobb galleria center Twenty-eight thousand people in attendance I think they need to cap the attendance at this point. They're getting close to issues with fire code and such in the building. They might have issues with that because it was previous year was 25,000. That's a big jump for a convention. 28, 29,000. So that's almost 3,000, 4,000 people. Daryl and I were in attendance all three days. The three days, Gerald? I thought it was a four-day convention. This is the first year where they have basically said we are a four-day convention. Now, this is not to say that for as long as they've been in this convention center, that on that Thursday, things have not been happening. Yeah, I mean, they always have the fun cell. They've had the fun cell for a number of years now. Even before then, they would have like a panel or two on Thursday. But this year, they said officially, we are officially a four-day convention. But clearly, they understand that Thursday is a lot less valuable because the price for a Thursday ticket is $15. Price for a Friday ticket is $40. So they recognize that. Although, I guess we might have to question, if the dealer's room isn't open, is it really a day of the con? Hmm. 
Right, because the dealer's room is not open on the Thursday that they're counting as this day four or day zero, as the case may be. Probably more appropriate to call it a day zero. So is it uh, really a day of the con if there's no dealer's room? It depends on what people count as the cons officially open and the cons officially over by. I think there was not like a huge amount of stuff on Thursday. Like we pretty much used Thursday to get our badges and we were going to go to the super happy fun cell, which is not the same as the dealer's room. That is when just fans can buy a table for that one block of hours. It's and like a garage sale. Junk. It's yeah. a garage sale. Anime Boston has a similar thing that's open as a swap meet. And I think one of the things that to answer the previous point about, is it, a convention if the dealer's room is not open. I don't think the super happy fun cell could exist at a time when the dealer's room is open. Probably not. Like it's almost a victim of its own success because it seems like they have to move that to a room that can manage more people. They Yeah, well, it is in the grand ballroom where that used to be the main events of AWA until the main events moved into the convention center. It was so full we couldn't even get in. The line went out the door into the convention center itself, which for people who've never been to the convention don't really know what I'm talking about. But let's say it's a, a very large ballroom that had a lot of tables and stuff like that. And due to fire code reasons, they could not let people in until like certain people, amount of people left. And the line just went extremely far to get in. We were able to, I think, leave and get dinner and come back. And I think there was still a line. Yeah. They had to and extend the hours of it, off-site. so it's good that that is a as successful. Success. It's a big success. Good for them. That's great. I don't know if there's a larger space that they can use that is not like being set up for... Right, because the convention center the, is much more expensive, and yes. they only get those rooms after a certain time, after a certain day, and I don't think they've technically got them open for business on the Thursday... I think it's just they get the hotel space on the Thursday. And so we're like, okay, well, we may as well use it. But to go back to my Anime Boston analogy, like they had a swap meet sort of thing. And the restriction on that so that they wouldn't earn the ire of the dealer's room is that at the Anime Boston swap meet, you could not conduct transactions in cash. Yeah. The Super Happy Fun Cell, you can buy stuff. But the dealer's room isn't open yet, and therefore there's not like this, hey, how come a table in our dealer's room costs this much, but people get a fun sell table, and you know you can sell for whatever, and there's different restrictions, like you can't sell handmade crafts in your fun sell. It's supposed to be like a garage sale of like your accumulated junk. But I didn't go in there, so I can't really go into too much detail. Yeah, the other times we've been in there has been pretty interesting. I mean, it's a lot of people getting rid of a lot of early 2000s manga. And yes, I, my understanding That's is that the is the main thing to take away is that that Tokyo Pop manga boom, people still have a lot of crap that they bought during that time that nobody wants. So that is what I think a lot of the not just the fun sale experiences, but also when you go to comic cons and you see like the clearance box of like manga is still like a lot of that inventory of questionable content. <laughs> so it might be fair to say that this is no different than previous years. They're just now saying this is the first day or whatever they want to say, because activity wise, it's pretty much the same stuff, right? I think so. I mean, as far as like what happens Thursday, I think it's more or less a similar amount of stuff that's going on. One thing that was very different from this year that wasn't there before is that Crunchyroll 
helped co-sponsor the convention. Yes. And so And they got a lot that, of things for it. Yeah, that was actually like a very nice new addition. The way they set it up was that okay, you'd pick up your badge and then you'd go right next to where the badge pickup was and do like the same Crunchyroll login that you do like at their booth in the dealer's room. And then you get a badge that would give you priority VIP entry into the bigger events, like in the main events, in the dealer's room places like that they had a separate line there laid was a out separate crunchyroll vip line and they would let those people in first before everyone else got in the line so that was actually something that i hope comes back just because crunchyroll their biggest challenge is just letting people know this is the place to go to watch things legitimately and the more you brand stuff and the more you incentivize people to sign up for Crunchyroll or at least use the site, the better it is in the long run, I think, for anime overall, just because those views go back to the Japanese licensors. They actually make money if people view things legally through Crunchyroll. So I thought that that was really good. They were giving away those weird bags again, like at Otakon. Gerald, you got your favorite show, I understand. Yeah, it's the only show that I was actively watching, which was Kizniver, which I'm not a big fan of, but it's... I'm sorry, Jared. The pronunciation is Kiznaiver. Naiver. Yeah. Kizu Naive. But yes, so that was the one that you picked, and that was when I realized that of this current anime season, everything I watched was something that either neither of you watched or neither of you liked. It was one or the other, with the exception of the puppets, Thunderbolt Fantasy, because I watched Berserk Season 2. I love that. And you guys were like, I'm not watching a single episode of that shit. I watched all of 91 Days, and everyone else was like, I don't care about gangsters whatsoever. No, uh, I do want to watch 91 Days. I just haven't gotten around to it not, yet. I'll, I'll say this. I hear not, it's really good. 91 Days ended well. It is an original anime production, so there's no manga, and it was good throughout, and it ended very well. And when you go online, all you hear people talk about is animation production errors that I did not even notice. Um, mm. And so that's my stance on that. I think that one is a hugely yeah. underrated show. Um, and I probably will watch Berserk at some point. I just don't like the CG. I think nobody likes so. the CG, but in motion, things look really well. I think as far as the direction, Shinigaki like directed it exceptionally well. Although it's very hard to defend, just to take any still shot of it, and it's like, right. okay, yeah, it looks awful. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a very unfortunate choice. I feel like a lot of people were like us that just saw scenes from it and saw bits and pieces and were like, this is something we've been looking forward to. Why did you have to make this choice? And of course, that was partially because it came from the movies, right? The movies used that style. The movies used that style, but they had movie budget. The first movie looked the worst by far. The second and third movies looked better. I think a lot of it is just Kentaro Mir's line art is so complex and the camera motion to capture the dynamism of his paneling would have to be so ornate that you got to pick one or the other. And so I think rather than go the 90s X-Men route where it would be like really line heavy stills and shit animation, they went for a more rapid camera movement. Mm. At the expense of being in the motherfucking chair zone like, with the CG <laughs> quality it looks, of some of yeah, these things. It, it's especially bad because it cuts from one to the other a lot, and the transitions well, yeah, are really bad. Anytime someone has to move, yes. then it has to go to the CG. So anyway, yeah. they only did 12 episodes in this one shot, then they're taking a four-month or whatever hiatus, and they're doing the the next 12 starting in April, which gives Kentaro Miura time to play more Idol Master because the manga has also gone on hiatus. What this has to do with Anime Week in Atlanta is the fact that they had the bag. I was talking about Crunchyroll <laughs> and they gave out bags that had Berserk on them, which was the bag that I took. 
that's how I get around to work in these tangents here on the Anime World Order podcast. Anime Week in Atlanta is also a con that you can see is shifting its focus and has been for a number of years now. They, yeah, for they, at least the last four or five years, it feels like to me, it's been gradually changing. Originally, years and years ago, they might have one band show up, something like that. This year, they had at least one, two, three, four bands or so, something like that. It's also a shifting of focus to YouTube characters and also to fashion people who are uh, clothes designers, things like that. And we've been seeing this for years, and this year was no exception. It's moving a little bit more along those lines. How much of that do you think is like AWA specific? Because I feel like I've seen, especially the fashion guests, increasingly at other cons as well. So do you think that that's like an AWA specific thing? Or is that more of just like those guests are generally available? Because I feel like we're seeing them more at Otakon also. Yeah, they had a one or two fashion guests at Otakon. Uh, they were actually Japanese clothes designers who were in America. So part of that might have been that they were available and easy to get. None of these fashion designers were foreigners. They were all just Americans. Ah, okay. And so I'm just looking at them now and they're all just all local. An interesting choice because I don't think these people have any tangible connection to not only anime, but even like Japanese culture. This, some of them, hmm. yeah, like this one, one of the guests there was uh, someone from Scatter.Fashion. I'm not familiar enough with the world of fashion to really understand it. But from what I saw, it was just fashion. It wasn't like they made cosplay or anything like that. Okay. So, so yeah, that is, that is a little different. On the music side of it, uh, they did at least get what I thought were probably some better musical acts than Otakon got because they had Garnadalia there. Yeah, Garnadalia was a great Unfortunately, was not able to see, but that was like obviously I think the big musical act they got. Garnadalia is probably most famous for doing the second Kill a Kill opening theme song, and so I think there was a lot of turnout. For them, uh, of course, if Johnny B is in the house, his band's got to be there somehow. He gets to work that contract magic to be like, "Don't you know who I am? I was in Code Geass, Bleach, and what I, everything Johnny B." Um, yes, does. <laughs> right. He's and kind of he's kind of the stereotypical anime dub voice guy man. Right, is he's, Johnny Youngblosh. He's definitely made a good second career for himself after Power Rangers. And yeah, a lot of the other like they had another band called Gin Machine, which is a Visual K band. Then they were probably easier and cheaper to get, you know, local or at least American bands. Then, as we said, they had some YouTube people. Probably the biggest stars of that convention was Team Four Star. Team Four Star, yeah. yeah. So it was fascinating because like there's people who just watch the Team Four Star abridged version of things without even watching the source anime itself. That's kind of where things are at this point. I thought the most metaphorically appropriate shifting was Sunday morning because every Sunday morning at AWA, Tim Eldred, who's we've had on the show, who's probably listening to this for all we know, has a Yamato panel that just talks about what happened in the world of space battleship Yamato for the past year from the last time he did it to now. Because he runs our starblazers.com or Cosmo DNA, he is like the premier expert on this topic. And so no one else is as qualified to put on this panel as him. For those who have never been to a convention with like a convention center area that has ballrooms, a lot of times what anime conventions or any convention will do is they'll put up like the temporary dividers so that you have multiple rooms that occupy the same larger space. And this is fine. And this is great. Unless you're having a panel that is opposite another panel that is all about playing loud music. 
Tim was adjacent to the Disney karaoke sing-along as hosted by noted YouTuber who is famous for doing karaoke sing-alongs of Disney stuff. It just seemed like it was thematically appropriate in this age where Disney is buying out all the geek stuff that is supplanting all the things and they have all their hundreds of billions of dollars of promotion that something like a guy talking about Yamato is literally being drowned out by people singing along to the Lion King and Mulan and what have you early in the morning just because that's the power of Disney. I always feel like that is something that anime conventions can take a stand against. But in the case of this, certainly it's, I would say that they should look into having identified rooms that are more, I guess, acoustically insulated if you're going to do like that right. sort of thing. Like Otakon, Yeah, if you're going to have anything like that, you need to not have it to where it's going to drown out something that's in the next room. Yeah, I guess they can't do like Otakon does where they have a dedicated karaoke room with different blocks of stuff going on in it. Well, they used to have like a karaoke event. And in this case, I guess... Since the guy's a popular YouTuber, I suppose, that they said, let's give him a, an event and where does it fit in? They just kind of looked in terms of available rooms and sizes of the room and they said, okay, this can go into here and that'll be great. But it was a bit of an irritant to me just because this is my one time of the year and I'm still being destroyed by the Disney machine. But I don't think anyone was maliciously planning that. I think it's more just an unfortunate coincidence just because of the complexity of planning a convention. But I think they had some issues this year compared to last. We did just talk about Otakon and the tech issues there. Yeah, I saw you posted some photos on Twitter of the AV setup in a few rooms. It looks kind of rough. Yeah, basically, uh, they explained it to me at the convention. But yeah, the AV setup was rough. We were given when we checked in like a handout that said, okay, here's how to work a mixer and, and stuff that's in the room. This is great information. All conventions should do this. But the handout also said there will be a tech assigned to the room who can help you out. This was not true. Uh, the only place that was really the case was in main events. And I am happy to say that all the main event stuff went perfectly this year. It's not like Neil Nathan lost his like two hours or whatever because nothing was working. No, they ran through everything ahead of time and everything went perfectly for Totally Lame Anime and Anime Hell in the big, big, big rooms. But it was like the convention center stuff where it seemed like just everything was going haywire. And I think a lot of it was because whoever was handling AV said, okay, you guys, your shift in your obligation to convention is over as of Thursday because we're a four-day con now. And you worked your Thursday shift and you worked like your Friday morning shift and therefore you're done for the weekend. And so then there was just nobody in the the ballrooms, like the convention ballrooms or anything like that. Yeah. And so... When stuff didn't work, you know, it'd be a while because maybe they had like a, a room they had to like completely do like a lighting ring for for a concert or set up for a, a dance later in that night. And that's where all hands needed to be on deck. And so they were they were shorthanded in the tech side this year. How did that affect us? Did it affect you in any way, Gerald? Well, thankfully, the one panel I did there, History of Magical Girls, went very smoothly, tech-wise. The problem, and I'm saying relatively, again, it would be very nice if we could get a confidence monitor, just, you know, a $20, $10 flat panel screen sitting there. But I had to just angle my table out so I could see the screen at the same time. Again, this is relatively minor. I could, the fact is, I could see the screen panelist of the entire convention was Jose from Disco Tech or CNN, I guess, because CNN is local, where he did 
one of the best panels I saw of the weekend, which was audio design in anime. Now, because of the industry that he works in, he can just phone up Disney and say, hey, Disney, will you send me a clip from whatever that has the isolated effects tracks in it so I can show everyone what goes into audio design and audio mixing? And they're like, sure, here you go. And so he did his panel live in Premiere in front of everyone. Like He just extended the desktop so he couldn't see what we were seeing. He was just like, okay, now I'm going to run this panel pretty much entirely through Premiere. And so you would have clips from like Zootopia and the Lego Batman movie, which isn't even out yet. And Captain America Civil War and all these kinds of different things, some live action, some otherwise, just sort of show here's what goes into all the different audio mixing aspects of anime. And that was a great panel. I don't think I saw 100% of it, but I saw like, I'd say 80% of it or so. Oh no, yeah, that we, sounds really interesting. I think we left when he said like, let's do the fan dubbing part of it where he said like, okay, you guys, that's probably when we left. So I think we saw like most all of it, but yeah, he's super duper IGPX fanatic. Number one, he helped make that set for discotheque. He definitely knew his stuff. So kudos to Jose for doing a panel. There's no way in hell that I could ever do. And even if I had the knowledge, the way that he did it, with the amount of confidence that Adobe Premiere is not going to explode live in front of me. He pulled that one off. Plus he like brought studio mics and stuff when like hooked it all up. It was crazy. Yep. I was really impressed by that. In my case, I only had one panel the entire weekend, which was the stupid video panel doom. And it was in the ballroom, great size and all that, but I think they need to, I think I said this last year, but when you're in a room that's a sufficiently large size, I think they need more than one projector. Because when you only had one, there was one projector for the big ballroom. And so what happened was everyone sat in the center. Everyone sat on the right side, which would be my left. And then the entire third on the other side was completely empty. And the reason is because if you took a seat there, there's no way you'd see the screen because it was the angle. So if they just have have just one projector in a room like that, but they also didn't have a projector screen or so I thought. So I just had to project onto the wall, which means (laughs) that some of the scenes that were darker, like it was just like, you may as well have been looking at pitch black. I didn't want to mess with their cables, but they had the audio mix set up that if you speak into the mic, the computer audio will die out. And if you have the computer audio playing, your mic will be shut off. They weren't on separate line inputs on the mixer, so I couldn't really explain some of my jokes or why am I showing this extended footage about this old early 90s Amiga 500 ad. The punchline was basically going to be that the Amiga 500 was actually the system that was integral to anime fan subbing in the early 1990s, because that was what Jayco subbed and some of the other equipment like a Genlock. These are old things that were used for fan subbing from analog sources like Laserdisc and VHS. But I kind of just got like the comedy from just the voiceover and just like the really rudimentary crude graphics of how you do word processing in 1991 or what have you. But as far as the projector that they had in there, it was the wrong size. If you have a projector that's a 16 by 9 projector, don't have a 4 by 3 screen. I think AWA owns their own equipment, and so they would have to, like, buy stuff. Here's my suggestion next year, AWA. Get a bed sheet and tack it up onto the wall. <laughs> Just get a white, a white bed sheet and do that, and it will be more effective than those uh, weird screens. And then we can move this thing back and get a second one in there. They did have a second projector screen in the other big ballroom that we went to that had Yutaki Yamamoto. But as it turns out, like Gerald said, there was only like 15 people in the room, this huge ballroom for this poor guy. I think that while it's true that people haven't really watched Haruhi, 
I don't think it's true that it's that forgotten. I think this is another case of you look on the schedule and it just says behind the scenes with Yutaki Yamamoto. Read the description. It says, come talk to Yutaki Yamamoto. And your average con attendee is like, who the fuck is Yutaka Yamamoto? All they have to do is the anime next thing of saying Haruhi Suzumiya or Lucky Star or Kanagi or Wake Up Girls or whatever these things that he made are. And more people will show up. Like, you're going to fly this guy out from Japan and give him the room and all that stuff. They should just go that one extra step that is the difference between an empty room and a much more full room. And so even though I did not have anything to ask you, Taki Yamamoto, because I haven't watched any of his shows, uh, even though I know that all he does is just throw bombs and say all anime is shit and doesn't really seem to have much to back himself up with compared to what he's made, I don't think that he had that few fans at a convention. I think that if people knew who this guy was a little better, because it's not like the band name that displays in the credits of the show that people know, Oh, Garnadelia every time they watch kill a kill. That's one of the few things in English in the credits. The name you talk Yamamoto is not something people know. The shows that he made are what people know. So that's pretty much it. I mean, I didn't do any other panels. Uh, we were just there to see the convention and experience all its glory. And so I, did something I didn't typically do at an anime convention. I watched stuff in the video rooms. This convention had the premiere of Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans Season 2, which I missed. But fortunately, since we got that Crunchyroll weed card, it's already up there. It's actually Daisuke for a week first and then Crunchyroll, which is stupid. But we also watched the, which I had no idea this was happening until we walked past it, the Lupin the Third Takarazuka musical from a couple of years ago. Did you guys end up watching it? No, I've got it available, and I think we're going to set up a night to watch it. Cause, all right, uh, all right. We... So I'm not going to go into it too much, but it is, in fact, a Takarazuka Review, which is the all-female troupe that typically specializes in mostly kitschy adaptations of Western media-type things like Tale of Two Cities or, you know, Great Expectations or things like that, except they also occasionally do anime type things. They've so done a blackjack is, one, I think, in the past, correct? Yes, they did a, a blackjack mm-hmm. one. There's a blackjack one. one. They did a Rose the of Versailles. The Rose of Versailles yeah. one is very popular. Wait, Rose of mm-hmm. Versailles? They would do that? No. Who I'm, would have thought? Who would have thought? Got a lot of various things like that, where because very, you know, the entire troupe is ladies, they have different sets of actors to be like the women parts versus the men parts. And typically, it's very hard to see this stuff because the fan base for it is super protective. But lately... On Wow Wow, which is the Japanese equivalent of like HBO, they have been broadcasting Takarazuka musicals and some enterprising individuals have been capturing these and posting them online. And for AWA, there was an exclusive yet to only be at AWA to see it. Somebody fan subtitled the loop on the third Takarazuka musical. That's not you're not going to get the subtitle version anywhere else. So I sat down and watched watched that one. And it was everything. Now I'm curious, you know, because I know that you're very anti-musical. I am um, anti-musical. There's not a lot of actual musical numbers in no, these Takarazuka things. And they also, mostly yeah, they, just they, a lot of bullshit. They also seem to work the music into the what's Plot. going on on stage as well. Um, yeah, a little like, more Bollywood. Like they're actually like the song lyrics are actually about what's happening in the story. That's but, kind of how all musicals are. <laughs> no, no. I think uh, the actual <laughs> musicals that I despise the most are more about what people are feeling. Uh, which is no good. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. If this were animated, it would be the worst Lupin animated oh, yeah. movie ever. It would be very but... much in line with some of the later TV specials, which have yes. similar plots. But the way the production of it made it fantastic. 
So if you can find this online, you probably won't find the subtitled version, but if you can find it, I would watch it anyway. It was a fantastic production to watch. I don't know like what the line, the barrier is between like the Takarazuka versions of these anime things and like the just the regular, really terrible stage play things that happen for so many anime that mysteriously continue to be made. The 20 year anniversary of the Sailor Moon one, I think, is there's so many of those. Oh, they, yeah, they've done, like, so many Prince of Tennis ones. Um, the Prince of Tennis ones are like, hilarious because they use the I ball of the light. I heard the Yellow ones are hilarious. I think a lot of the jokes would be better if you just, like, had the subtitles just because it seems like so much of it is not physical jokes or, like, you just get that part of it within, like, 20 seconds. So, yeah, we did check that out, and uh, we roped in Basil and a couple other people who are like, what, this is happening? Because no one thinks to look at the video room schedule and by roped in basil he walked in while we were there so yeah yeah, that's what i mean (laughs) you can't get a rope around that man you say it like we're so influential that we can even we are influential we posted on twitter and then people showed up that means that people are real reading our posts in real time and seeing where the party is and that's my story and i'm sticking to it i'm sticking to that too it's interesting to see something like that that you wouldn't normally see at an anime convention and i mean it still sticks to the subject I would like to see the blackjack one. Curious how he does some fabulous surgical procedures and yeah, I mean, numbers. I have the I have the CD like album for it, but I've never actually managed to get a copy of like the recording of the full right. show. So I'd still like to see them at some point. Yeah. So, so other events that were really good. Totally lame anime had a lot of new stuff, but I think the real standout for a generation was that Neil found by request of a person who went to his panel in a previous year, and then went up to him and said, hey, have you seen this? And he said, why, no, I have not seen this. And so he tracked it down. They actually moved Toilet totally Anime to the middle of the day, and so there was a surprising amount of empty seats at first just because of the different time slot. So we got in there at the right time. But Neil found the gold mine. He basically realized that Tokyo Movie Shinsha and Toei Animation stuff from the 70s is kind of like this lodestone of ridiculous, nightmarish, silly anime that gets made. The one that he found was called The Brave Frog. Which is not the same as Gutsy Frog, you would think. No, it's not Gutsy Frog that Kill a Kill (laughs) is based off of. The Brave Frog is one that is double word score, because not only is it that 70s children's animation by one of those studios, it was also dubbed entirely by Intersound, so you get like all those Robotech voice actors and Mike Reynolds and all that kind of stuff in there talking about this incredibly depressing compilation movie made from like several episodes of this TV show about this frog whose entire family gets killed. And then he moves to a town where there's frog racism that he's discriminated against. And then (laughs) he meets like, you know, all the good friends and neighbors of the town who are all murdered. He meets the the mafia frog and he's got a mafia frog and and his crawfish assassin who ends up single-handedly murdering all these people. No recourse, no nothing. So how does this compare to like penguin memories? Is this Uh, like a Penguin memories was also in the mix, but penguin memories, I think is, actually just an actual good movie that is just undermined by the fact that it's penguins this is like just completely it's supposed to be a kids movie but so much of it is lines like rebecca forstant aka reba west aka min may crying and being like i wish i was dead um and it's this for it every single that, episode and they try to give some hope at the end but it 
makes no sense. And yeah, no, it's absolute must view. Yeah. And Neil like took a gamble because he's had like a good 20 minutes, if not 30 minutes worth of just bad things happening to the brave frog. Yeah. And uh, if it was me, I never would be able to sell those clips. But it's, the way that Neil presents stuff, it just it works way better. I mean, I've got I've um, got to talk about this one moment that I remembered the most, which was this horrific scene in it where and I'm trying to remember this exactly, but where this one snake came and ate all of this turtle's eggs. Uh, yes. The, the mafia went and smashed all the turtle mom's eggs yes. and that's therefore killing her babies <laughs> and the snakes, one egg yeah. survived and so but the then s- the mom gets murdered also and so they're like <laughs> we're gonna raise the final egg so that at least there's one surviving thing and we'll, we'll raise this and then mike reynolds the snake comes and eats the egg eats the egg tries to get the egg away from them succeeds they almost die in the process then they eventually get the egg back only to yes, find the out. Snake regurgitates the egg, the egg and it, it's damaged. And so they bring in the town doctor, who yes. is also voiced by Mike Reynolds. Yes. That's the kind of production <laughs> this is. And then uh, they, he examines the egg and finds out it's not actually an egg; it's a ping pong ball. And yeah, so, so everybody died. Everybody for died. Nothing. Oh my god! Uh, and it's, all it's of that, tremendous. All of this pain and suffering he went through was for nothing. It's a good lesson in life for children. So, yes, I wow. think so. And that's not even the only. Adventure of the Brave Frog. I believe there is a sequel that I'm sure Neil will track down and unleash upon the masses. So anyway, coming soon to a YouTube shop man near you is the Brave Frog now that Neil has resurrected it. Yeah, just wait for it. There's going to be shitheads all over the internet. Well, well, it's so. fine. As long as, as you listeners of the show know who, who the source is, then it's okay. It's not like we invented the Brave Frog ourselves. What other great things did you go to? I mean, certainly Anime Hell was good stuff this year. Always, It's always very interesting, and Dave always has a, a segment, or at least he's had it for quite a few years now, where he sort of compares what cartoons were on American TV or American-made in this year and what was Japan watching at the time. And he says, this is why we became anime fans. Because, you know, 70s, especially in the 70s, American cartoons were just god-awful. And you had to import it from Japan if you wanted to see anything cool that was animated. I always love those segments. I always love it, too, just because the situation has changed so dramatically as of now. Like, now our cartoons are good. Yes. Now you can go all over for really good stuff. There's people that grew up, you know, the Tim Eldreds and the LeSean Thomas, you know, of the uh, animated world who are making really cool stuff. I'm so glad we are no longer in the world where Punky Brewster... (laughs) The animated series is what we have to watch. I know there's at least one or two pretty good things that we went to because, I mean, I feel like it's another one where just by virtue of how many people there were at this convention also feels like I barely saw anyone. (laughs) But I do want to point this one out. AWA is a convention that gives panel time to some weird topics, and that's part of why I always like to go there. This year, they had a Legend of the Galactic Heroes panel. This is not uncommon at some of the larger conventions to have an LGH panel. Uh, this was run by Walter Amos and Neil Nadelman, who also had some tech difficulties, but since they're pretty good orators, they didn't really need the video too much. It was mostly just them talking. And I was a little concerned because when I went in there, I was like, okay, the only people who are here are people who already kind of know about Legends of the Galactic Heroes. But by the time the panel ended, it was reasonably full. And in fact, I will say this. It was in the same room as last year's Robotech panel. And there are, in 2016, more people are interested in Legend of the Galactic Heroes than are interested in Robotech. So in your face, Harmony Gold, 
in your face, <laughs> Robotech. Just I'd be wait. curious um, with the novels coming out. Well, yeah, like that, how that was many the, people are learning about it through the novels? The catalyst was for the panel, at least, was to say, okay, okay, finally, the novels are coming out, the show's coming out. I didn't see a whole lot of people in there who'd only read the novels and weren't aware that there was a show, maybe because mm. it's an anime convention. But right. Walter does say, like, when he goes to the literary conventions, he pushes these novels to say, like, okay, look, this is kind of a, a Japanese, you know, sort of similar to, like, uh, Asimov's Foundation. That was his analogy, not mine. But I just feel like if Legend of the Galactic Heroes is right on the cusp of breaking out, and I think as long as next year... The remake that comes out isn't horrible, and we get to see it through the typical simulcast channels. And the original show comes out from Sentai Filmworks, which they are working on it. Neil's the one who's doing a lot of the work for that for us. He showed like a little bit from the movie as how it looks on his version. I think yeah. that Legend of the Galactic Heroes can finally have its day in the sun. Like we have the novels I, coming out. I really but- hope that the new version is good, but I just... It's one of those shows that, like, with Kaneto Shiazawa being dead, I'm like, who is going to replace? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I always thought Him. that, you know, Takami Yamazaki uh, would be a guy who could do, like, a reasonably good version of that voice. Don't know how old that guy is now, because he's been, like, 20 years since I really kind of heard that guy in stuff mm. but he was in some cases when kind of Shizawa needed a voice replacement they cast him so i know like there's at least some similarity there as long as they make that new show competent i think yeah. it'll it'll do really well yeah and it'll renew some interest in seeing the original show and as long as those sets come out there then i think lgh will be where it finally needed to be after all these years of people just saying go watch the show and i don't know if awa was the first time that we heard it officially that they were releasing all of it and it's supposed to be either in one large set or in they're definitely releasing it in as large a sets as they can manage that's yeah what and i'm heard. guessing it's probably gonna be and this is just my guess but probably at least four or five sets yeah. that's just my gut instinct just because of the length of each season plus the amount of side story material there is in movies and the like i feel like it's probably the balance that they're gonna end up going for but i have no data on that that's not me hearing on the insider announcing that they didn't say anything like that that's just my guessing based on the length of the work how would you break up this 150 60 some Mm -hmm. episode thing or they could just release like a gigantic 150 episode brick, yours for only, you know, Anaplex pricing, only <laughs> actually get your money's worth this time. So that's another interesting sign of the times, AWA, that, you know, yeah, there's all this new weird stuff, but LLGH finally coming our way. We actually did get to see some video games. I know we weren't able to see everybody as we would have hoped because they were playing Bomberman in the video game room. Uh, We'll (laughs) leave their name out of this broadcast for their own protection. But what do you think of the game scenario? Because you actually saw that there were some things being premiered there. First of all, I should mention that at the same time that AWA was going on in Atlanta, there is another convention called CE Otaku, which is happening in Orlando, which is a fighting game convention that is based around anime style fighting games so it's not meant to be the street fighter or the mortal Kombat style it's meant to be the kohima embu the guilty gear things like that i hope that they do not hold this at the same time as awa because i feel like there were at least a couple of people 
who wanted to go to one and had to choose because this is a similar interest in the same region. Right. Like I definitely have at least a couple people I can think of that I know that go to both. Right. What's interesting is AWA had a sponsors of sorts in the game rooms as well. There's a company called Dekiga Games, which largely releases anime style fighting games and shooters. They had their own room there. And also all the sticks in the rooms were sponsored by Hori, which is pretty cool as well. They even premiered a shooter there called Dodonpachi Resurrection, which was very neat. I got to play that for the first time. So that was very interesting to see that they've kind of expanded it as well. Like they took this whole section, which used to be panel rooms. It used to be rooms that, yeah, were either panel rooms or rooms that the con didn't actually purchase from the convention center. And now they have pretty much the whole convention center. Right. And so they divided it up into this is the Dekiga Games room. This is the casual player room. This is the social games room, the RPG room, the board games room. And then below they had the arcade, which again, I'm astonished that people will put that much effort into hauling those arcade machines in there. But good for them. And Yeah, so- one thing I'll say is that don't make the tournament room the smallest room you've got as far as video game rooms, because maybe it's a tactical error to have your Street Fighter V tournament in the smallest room reserved for video games because there was at least 40 or 50 people in the tournament and therefore no one can <laughs> spectate to see this tournament because it's uh, such a, a small room in such a, a, for such a popular game. But uh, minor quibble as far as that. Yeah, interesting to see that the video games are there and always good that they have not just one, but two doors in and multiple box fans to blow air in and out. Though now that there's no more like huge proliferation of rhythm games, the smell inside the video game room is nowhere near like the horrors of decades <laughs> past. Oh, God. Another yeah. marker of progress. Yeah, they used to have to have the rhythm games room by itself. And even then, you just walked past that room and it was hell. Yeah, there was only one DDR yeah, machine. Yeah, I love to be some DDR, but... It- did have that very unfortunate side effect. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is basically exercise. Right. Who needs that at an anime convention? Yeah. So anyway, I guess that's more or less it. I didn't actually do any interviews at AWA like I normally do. I don't know if that's an indictment of me or an indictment of them, but it's probably more me. But yeah, it's true that there's a lot of people who were maybe just known for being uh, cosplayers or YouTube personalities or American dub voice actors or fashion designer people. That's like the majority of who they got. Yeah. And so I will say, you know, they did have some Sunrise reps because, again, they had to premiere Iron-Blooded Orphan season two, like a day or two before it actually aired in Japan which is always cool, but I didn't have too many interviews to do with people. I mostly just talked to folks, and uh, the press badge didn't get me into anything. The Crunchyroll VIP access got me more access than the press badge as far as covering the event. But I guess that's how most conventions are. It's definitely a changing convention. I'm curious where it's going to be in another couple of years, guest-wise and such, and event-wise. What if it just becomes another branch of Dragon Con? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's ominous. That is ominous. But yeah, well, I'm just thinking, like, in terms of where are there places to move if they outgrow this venue? Well, you got to go down downtown to where Dragon Con is. But isn't Dragon and Con then, not in one place? It's in like a whole no, bunch. It's in of, like five hotels now. Okay, so they, yeah, but they they're all up, downtown. They take up a whole and bunch. It's way of more there. expensive. Yeah. Okay, I've never been to a Dragon Con, so I've, I only I only hear. Stores. Keep it that way. <laughs> all right, so you know we should probably at this point get to our our review of true classic of Japanese animated entertainment that embodies all that we are here to discuss and bring to you, the people, the fans, the listeners, here at the Anime World Order podcast. I say, let's do this. Let's let's find out about the man with the psychic power. 
He's a special man. Special right. man, uh, yes. But before we find out about that special man, I do just want to remind everybody that the Anime World Order podcast is brought to you by WriteStuffAnime.com. That's spelled R-I-G-H-T-S-T-U-F-A-N-I-M-E dot com. Stuff with just one F. Which is the best store on the internet for purchasing Japanese animation and comics. They have the best prices on all of the legitimate releases. One in particular that I want to draw your attention to is the upcoming... Eastern Star, a.k.a. Discotech Media, release of Lupin the Third Part 2, Collection 1. This is the first 40 episodes of the second Lupin the Third TV series, which began airing in 1977. This is what aired on Adult Swim and was previously released by Genion. It is currently all streaming, but there are some incentives to buying this set. First off, the video quality is better than what you get on the free streams, but more importantly are the special features... For in addition to extensive per-episode liner notes from Reed Nelson of LoopOnTheThird.com, an exclusive extra to that DVD release set is four commentary tracks on select episodes. One episode features commentary by Mike Toole, and the other three episodes feature commentary by yours truly, Daryl Surratt. Clearly, the most important release of the year comes out December 20th, Pre-orders are open right now. If you go to Amazon, the pre-order price is $64.95. But if you go to RightStuffAnime.com, the pre-order price is $42.22. Or if you have a Got Anime membership, you'll save an additional $3.25 for $38.97 as your total pre-order price. So that's less than $1 an episode. Now, the Got Anime membership is definitely worth the price. But I have some promotional codes for me to give away. But the question is, how should I give them away? And I think I've got the answer. NPR-style bribery. See, I can't just directly sell these codes for money. That would be unethical. But if people were to give donations as a gift for donating, I could include a code. Now, for this to make sense... I actually have to make the donation price higher than the cost of just buying a God Anime membership. If you want to get your own God Anime membership, it costs $12 for one full year. And with that membership fee, you will get an additional discount of up to 10% off Right Stuff Anime's already low prices, plus an extended 90-day period for returns, as well as access to members-only special promotions, usually in the form of an additional discount if your order exceeds $75. So what can I possibly offer that would incentivize people to give more than that to the Anime World Order podcast? And I think I have the answer. You may have noticed when listening to this introductory hour of AWO that maybe the conversation seemed like it was jumping around here and there. That maybe people were talking about one thing, then suddenly talking about something else. And there's a reason for that. It's because in the Code Geass discussion, roughly six minutes of audio was excised that primarily consisted of us yelling and screaming at one another. Personally, I thought it was pretty great, but I was in the minority. But I do have the raw audio. And if you would like to hear that raw audio, then perhaps you could make a donation using the donate link located on my Twitch page at www.twitch.tv slash s-u-r-a-t-d. There will be a button that says donate, and that will take you to a customized PayPal donation form where you will write in your name, your email address, the amount of your donation, and one anime title that you would like me to review. On the times when I do stream on Twitch, which hasn't been very much lately because I've got packet loss issues for my ISP, there is a progress meter that is currently 
as of this recording, at $60. When that progress meter reaches 200, I will pick one title from what the donors gave and review that on an upcoming episode of the Anime World Order podcast. But as a further incentive, if the size of your donation is $20 or more for the first 20 people who do so, I will include a Got Anime promotional code that you can redeem at rightstuffanime.com. That is good for one year. So be sure when you send in those donations that you include the name of one anime title that you would like to hear me review on this show. Could be anything, as long as it's under 26 episodes in length. And with the progress meter at 60 and the goal at 200, that means it only takes seven people to reach the goal of 200, at which point the new goal increases. So for your donation, you get a vote as to what anime I'll be reviewing in a future episode, the unedited Code Geass discussion, perhaps, and a Got Anime membership at RightStuffAnime.com, where you can totally go and pre-order Lupin the Third Series 2 Collection 1, featuring commentary tracks by me. I think everybody wins in this situation, except for Gerald and Clarissa, who are totally unaware that this is happening until right now, and the second they hear this, they're going to send me an angry message saying, fuck you. But any donation money sent to that account goes to the Anime World Order account. It does not go into my pocket, much as I would like it to. Unless you specifically note, hey Daryl, spend this on whatever, where whatever will be interpreted by me to mean Steam games and pornography. Otherwise, all donations go towards paying for the podcast hosting. Anyway, I'm sorry that took six minutes of your time. Normally, I try to keep these promotional spots to about 90 seconds or less. But there were extenuating circumstances. To make up for it, you can listen to this review. There's a lot more table pounding and mouse clicking in the background that you'll hear. But I think that adds to the Oh Super Milk Chan-esque effect of it all. Okay. It's very interesting, I think, to look back on a trend. Sometimes you look back on them and think, man, those are really, really good times. Like, sometimes I'll look at a bunch of the really, really good giant robot shows from the mid-80s and think, like, how cool it must have been to see some of those things coming out year after year. On the other hand, you sometimes look back on trends and think, what were we thinking? 
I'm sure that anybody who lived through the disco craze of the 70s probably thinks something like that. It's especially strange to look back on trends at the shows and movies that sort of typified works of the time, but didn't necessarily start it. Basically, those that were just sort of riding the trend for the sake of cashing in. A lot of these are sort of derivative works that just sort of appear and disappear. Like if you look at 70s sci-fi, there's movies like Phase 4, which are just sort of weird movies that just sort of appeared, disappeared, nobody remembers them, and they're very, very typical of the works of the time. With that, one of the most notable trends in anime and manga during the 1980s was this concept of psychics and people with psionic powers. I'm not sure exactly what started this trend, and every time I've asked, I've not been able to get an answer. It's probably I because think the it's, answer is Yuri Geller. It probably is some. That's my answer. Usually, it's not usually one thing. Like if I had to point to like anime or manga that might have influenced this, uh, my guess is perhaps Cyborg 009 was remade in 1980, and the Akira manga started in 1982. I don't know if they were writing the trend or if they might have been just so early in it. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but I've never found anybody to give me a better answer than that. I mean, you got to think about, like, even, say, Mobile Suit Gundam, right? Yes. There was a ESP psychic stuff craze, and they were like, we've got to get in on this. Yeah. And they're like, but Tomino, there are only four episodes left. And Tomino pulled out his gat and said, bitch, listen, we need psychics in our robot show. <laughs> and from that point on, there were psychics in Mobile Suit Gundam, and it was all about retroactively the psychics you are just forgetting. Therefore, it was always supposed to be about new types. Who are you to doubt me? And then he said, put down the gun, Yoshiki Tomino. And, uh, you know, and so Please it was. Please feed me again, and Yoshiki Tomino. And so everything... Yes, everything ended up in some way having to go crazy go nuts, espers and whacked out, mental explosions and no boom moments. It was all over the place. I mean, there was like My the Psychic Girl manga came out. Then there were shows like Kimaguri Orange Road, which were very clearly just meant to be romantic comedies. And then clearly got to have a gimmick. Yeah, we got to have a gimmick. Let's just shoehorn in some psychic stuff, which they use like two or three times in the entire show. And the rest of it is just romantic comedy right like i never so. i never hear that mentioned when people talk about klr like no, nobody ever never mentions like yeah, the like, psychic oh, remember thing. the part where they fall down the stairs and go back in time or you know where they can use their psychic powers to cause some sort of trouble sitcom style for just this one episode right. and then it never gets brought up again <laughs> in, in fact in fact there are situations which would be solved by having psychic powers. If they just used the psychic powers. <laughs> yes. Hey, guess what? Show's over because I have my psychic powers and we can clear this up right now. Nope. No, no, that's never no, it. Completely, com only, only in K KOR for convenience of stealing panties and things like that. So one of the movies that sort of cashed in on this popularity of psychics was this work, I City, which means Love City. It's actually right in the title is Love City based on a two-volume manga by Shuho Itashi, who also published a manga version of The X-Files. Wait, this was 90s. actually based on a manga? Yes, this was based on a Can't manga. Can't you tell this is totally a manga and thing? What's, no, what's because crazy? it's completely nonsensical. Is the manga also completely <laughs> that's, nonsensical? That's how we do this. That's how we roll it. <laughs> And this, this guy, is tremendous. this guy is well into the world of the paranormal. He, this guy, Shuho Itashi, is still around today. He publishes web comics under the name Psy UFO. So he is deep into the world of the paranormal. Hasn't let those 80s things go. Yeah, I mean, he's got it right in his name, CUFO. Yes. And then the, the Itahashi, <laughs> I don't know, is, uh, I can get a pun out of that. Nope. But I City, 
the movie is directed by Koichi Mashimo, who would go on either that same year in 1986 that ICD came out, or early in 1987, he would go on to direct one of the single greatest action anime ever in the form of Dirty Pair Project Eden. But this is not right. So yeah, that's I can't all, believe that's this sort of is the same I, director as like Dirty Pair Project Eden. Oh, I, 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 I believe it. I believe it 1000%. I actually watched this movie recently yeah. and it was sort of like serendipitous because for months you've been saying like, oh, I should review this thing. And I just ended up having to watch it because I was doing my Otakon panel for 30 years ago, anime in 1986, which I have since made a article, which you can read on anime news network. I city came out 30 years ago in 1986. And so that's what made me watch it. And it made me realize that I don't know if I watched this when I was a teenager or not. I recall that this was something I always for a long time thought was porno. <laughs> I thought the, that, love city. Um, the name is love city. You would think that's a good name for a porno, but it's not. Right. Well, you know, there, in the that reason... one, there is that one lady character who spends most of the movie naked under a trench coat. Let's or not, dressed as let's a not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But no, the, the reason I think is simple. I think it's more just when I was renting anime tapes from like comic book stores and the like, this was something that was there because it did get released on VHS in the United States. By right like, stuff. Right stuff, yes. I think. Right stuff. And they never and released it on DVD. I think the comic book store may have filed it under the 18 plus stuff. Uh. And maybe that might be why. Or maybe it has a font. That was similar to something else that was porno. Mm. Like, you know, maybe the iCity font looked very similar to the Adventure Kid font or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, probably uh, something. And therefore, I get these things mentally I definitely up. never saw this before. Uh, I watched it recently. You would remember seeing yes, this I would. if you had yes. seen it before. Holy it shit. is an unforgettable film. <laughs> it is, Holy fucking fit. It is Cyber City 08 caliber entertainment. <laughs> okay. I feel like Koichi Mashimo is a guy who has done so much work that he's just accidentally gotten it right. He's kind of like Canon Films, where he's just accidentally gotten it perfectly right, like, two or three times. I think so, Canon Films got it perfectly right, like, 20 or 35 now, now times. By that, by that I mean <laughs> right in terms of, like, success outside of people who like ninjas like me. But, like, he directed Project Eden, which is fantastic. He directed Captain Tyler, which is great. And virtually everything else Koichi Mashimo has done is usually... Like, not, do not watch this cartoon. Yes, like, everything once not he even, founded B-Train yes. is like, get out of here. Like, all that it's stuff It's not even hilariously just, bad. It's just lame. It's just... Yeah, it's just like irritatingly poor. Yes. But I, I think his heyday was like that late 80s, early 90s. Like you said, Tyler, I think he did Dominion, Tank Police, or something like that. Some similar ridiculous sort of setting as all these things. And of course, uh, Project Eden and stuff like that. Now, I have heard different things about, I know it was definitely like, once it was noir, and from then on, it's like, forget it. Koichi Mashimo yes. dead to me forever. Right. I thought he did some stuff in the 90s that were popular. Like, yeah, he did um, do, he did we do Dominion Tank about... Police. Dominion Tank Police was good. Okay. I liked that. He directed F, which I've only seen one episode of. Who directed Urashiman? Urashiman? That seemed like... That was a... Yeah, yeah like... Future. I'm going to fake it here. I have to fake it because I just don't know it off the top of my head. Sorry, guys. That was Koichi Mashimo. Okay, because it feels like that same kind of yeah. breezy ridiculousness. That was totally like what I thought of. Weathering Continent was and, his... Now, was that porno? No. I <laughs> He's had a couple of good things. Right, but just after a point, he was dead. Yes. And so I feel dot like... Dot hack his... is all of his. Everything dot hack yeah, is yeah, his. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Get, get out with the dot hack stuff. But like, I feel like... In the 1980s to early 1990s, there was this 
sort of spirit that I don't think things, even things that attempt to do the retro 80s vibe recapture. And I think iCity, what we'll talk about, is something that things try to recapture but cannot because you have to be I, right. I, of, I feel like most of that like kind of retro stuff like kung fury really isn't very much like the actual stuff that came out then right because i think one thing is that there's no like the crazy things of this movie are not things that they were writing to be crazy no, they thought, i feel they like thought, they were just writing this yeah. it's like yep and now we're gonna do this no thought whatsoever put into it. And as like every little detail of this no, movie. No, they were trying is, to be like, cool. Most of the time. The dom- yes. yes, it's the domain of the criminally insane. Right. Who, who think like, yes, this is going to be awesome or this is going to look so slick. <laughs> and yes, in effect, it's actually just, I see. So what, 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 what's happening here? <laughs> right. Nobody knows. Uh, to, to put it mildly, I-City is one of the strangest craziest most ridiculous non sequitur impossible to follow or comprehend anime movies i have ever seen it's amazing to watch this movie and attempt to figure out what's going on it's unbelievable so, like, so few the, fucks pl- like, the plot yeah. progression Anything and like the, is, the way that characters act make no oh, sense like, it's amazing there's not really like a there's like an attempt at like world building of like minor things that don't matter right. and yes. then big important things that do that matter really that they don't answer yes no attempt of explanation or contextualization right. is given it's to like if that. you could have so. taken you could have removed all of the completely pointless you're trying to narrow it down to one thing well no like just like all of the completely like pointless exposition about like those unimportant details <laughs> Yeah, but well, no, I think that's part of what like makes the movie is that like everyone is is so just along for the ride and just accepts things without question, like kind of like not really the same, but much like how there were those old children's movies, stuff like Flying Phantom Ship or yes. Hellhound Liner right, 0011, right. where like you got your kid hero and this is presented with like some ridiculous scenario that they just accept without any sort of question, it's like gung-ho, okay, let's do this. There is a shred of that in iCity that just makes it sort of mind-blowing to see unfold before you. Because yeah. the way that it starts is <laughs> oh, I'm, already so full of questions. I'm, I'm going to att- let me attempt to explain this this movie. I'll, I'll attempt. <laughs> Are now, you just going to play that song? <laughs> oh, I, 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 no, was, no, I was... That was my joke. Yeah, I was going yeah, to I mean, just play the song. There, there is a, that but, explains what the premise is in English. That, that <sighs> explains what is happening in that scene in English. Right, the Black Dynamite style. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly why. I, that was the clip I played at my panel. <laughs> and, and in retrospect, maybe I should have picked a different clip, but I couldn't not. <laughs> the, and the biggest missed the opportunity song. of this... The biggest missed opportunity of this review is I didn't screen cap Clarissa's face... <laughs> While that song was playing. <laughs> right, because she wasn't at Otakon um, to see my panel for that, I don't no, think. No, she was. Okay, no, so maybe she but we, we erased it from her we mind. We couldn't see, we couldn't hear really in that room all the lyrics. We just heard like psychic oh, okay. man, things like this. Right, yeah, right. So you couldn't hear like clobbering evil in the name of yes. you know, like This Townsend Coleman tick caliber lyricist that was set to contextualize it for us, everybody. Yes. So, and so, all right, go for it. Oh my, lay it on. Holy us. fucking shit! I'm gonna try. Okay, I'm I'm gonna get stuff wrong because nothing in this movie is right. Um, but no one will be able to tell because right. none of it makes any sense. So no, we I are. Think it, I think everything is right. Yeah, this movie is set in. I think it's a. It's set in the future where the population of cities only appear to be a few dozen people, 
and the world is always at night. And we start with these two people, K and I, who are trying to. What city is this, Gerald? I city. Where, where are we? I city. Yeah, but I don't think it's the city. I think I think this is New York City. <laughs> K and I, I think are, it's America. Are trying to escape from what appears to be psychics with the help of bicycle repairman and Garfield. Bicycle repairman and Garfield. Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> They're because... in the opening scene. How is that getting ahead of ourselves? Yes, I, I understand. Well, it, it's, it I understand. doesn't even make it's sense so because, like, are they working as taxi drivers? Is that's like what's happening because like <laughs> yes. why, why is this man yes. why is this detective in the back seat of their car while yeah. this car chase is happening yes the car chase is happening yeah and these these two people are driving it in the back seat is bicycle i'm going by bicycle repairman because <laughs> bicycle repairman because he okay. is the only person in the movie who doesn't have psychic powers so right. he's, yeah. he's special he's, uh, for not having psychic powers. And he's, he's voiced by Cobra because he has the exact same Space Adventure Cobra voice. Yes. There's a lot of famous 80s voice actors in this who aren't at all changing what their voices are known right. for. And, uh, and so he's the hard drinking detective who's got at least like eight flasks of Suntory whiskey because this is the kind of production <laughs> this is that will just steal the labels <laughs> and brands of everything right. without any permission whatsoever. Yeah, I'm pretty so, sure yeah, that yeah, the production team gave no fucks. <laughs> And the yeah, and so, Garfield is and with him. He's got a cat. Yeah, cat. Gar- I'm just going with Garfield because this cat. cat. Yes. 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 It's, Th- this cat. Is, uh, this cat. Why is the cat there? Is like this is the watermelon of Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> right. This cat in this production. It is so fucking weird. This cat seems like it feels like it stepped out of this children's show that was being made down the hall. And just it's was like, like, oh, shit, this people is a- are like mascots, right? We should have a yeah, mascot. This, yeah. this, is a way cooler, this is a way cooler thing than this kid's show. I'm just going to jump in here. And no one seems to understand. Like, No one questions no. the presence of the no. cat. This cat. Not even the villains in the flashbacks that the cat is there that is instrumental to you know the plot occurring somehow. Does the cat have psychic powers? Maybe. Maybe, probably not. But the important thing is that this cat acts like a children's show cat in that he has like a personality. He walks around on two feet. He gets he the gets cat dressed. Is wearing cool shades. He gets cool shades, and he doesn't sound anything like any cat has ever sounded. No, it's not the voice actor. It is the worst impression of a cat that I have possibly it is ever not, heard. Like, there's no Frank Welker here. This is kind no. of more like the English dub of Ambassador Magnus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Only now it's a cat. Yes. I don't know if this person knew they were playing a cat. <laughs> I don't know if they were just given a script that said your character is maybe somebody who has trouble speaking. <laughs> but it's not a full on talking cat. No, it doesn't actually talk. The cat has no lines. The cat has no name. No. But, but it's a cat that's just in every scene. And it, so it is, they're in the backseat of the car. Yes. And they are being chased. They're being chased by a motorcycle gang. By a motorcycle gang. And, and you then, know the motorcycle gang means business, Gerald, because I don't know if this was misconveyed to the animation director or if this is just legitimately what they wrote. Like normally when you think of like bikers and weaponry that bikers have, a lot of times people think like, oh, well, bikers got chains they're going to attack the car with. And sure enough, this biker gang does have chains, but they attack with bicycle chains. Yes. <laughs> Not like a heavy-duty chain that you'd, like, wrap a a motorcycle around or secure a truck to. No, this is FG Superman, what he is going to repair when your bicycle is broken and menaced by international communism. That kind of chain. Yes. That they are attacking a car with. And that's not all. And it's effective. That's, that is Somehow. that is not all. They are also being chased by one of the other legit psychics in this. She is flying because psychics can fly. K2. And also with the same crossed arm pose right. as the clown from Akira. And she's apparently Akira, also you know, called K? swipe that shit. 
Yeah, she's called K2. K2. K2, that's right. Yes. Because there's someone already named K. Yes. A code so name. you had to come up with another so name. K2. They're just, uh, K2, go with it. Yeah. K2, not not L, <laughs> you know, that's... Uh, no, so... Different categorizations, I guess. So how do you know this person is psychic except for the fact she can fly? Well, see, and here's the thing. To question this. this is, this show is years ahead of Dragon Ball Z. See, that's Dragon Ball Z Power had, had you know, the scouters where they would look into them and be, they, ju- they would just look into these things and read, like, very inconveniently, like, oh, your power level is 34. Your power level is 68. Yeah, you needed a scouter to establish that someone had a power level, Not right? in I City. I City has no. you fucking covered. Holy They just shit. built it into their foreheads. Yes. Under yes. their foreheads is a digital readout. <laughs> a digital of, readout. Of their psychic that levels. displays. And what's the in digital alarm clock <laughs> yes. numbers. Yes. What psychic level they are at at that moment. And what is, and yeah, what is frustrating is that it is not a static number. It's not a thing that you train and you increase this. It's basically a thing where if you strain harder, your number goes higher. And. Right. And it also your number. The number that's displayed does not correspond in any way to the psychic power output that you have. No. Because if one person powers up to 200, someone later on in the movie, someone will power up to like 20 and get like similar comparable results. Yeah, to give you an idea. Because so it's not even a case of like, oh, I'm going to beat you because my number is not high. To give you an idea, no. two people, uh, K2 and K, K2 is the girl, K is the guy, don't get confused, have a fight right at the very beginning and... K, like, powers up his psychic level to the point where it just shows an infinity symbol. It's like a mob psycho thing. He's borrowing it from her. And apparently this is strong enough. You would think that if your psychic level is infinite, you could just... Powers to infinity that you blow up the planet Earth. No, all it does is it conveniently strips K2 of all of her clothes. It blows off her clothes. This is important. It blows off her clothes. So she is... (laughs) I'm not sure how much the psychic powers in this are useful at all. Considering that the solution to beating the, like, most powerful, like, most dangerous psychic character was just a gun. (laughs) Yes, it's very Ralph Bakshi Wizards style. Anyone who is speaking ill of me on the incest subreddit, I got two words for you, gun, and then, like, you know, that's it. Yes, that's exactly. No explanation is given to why do these people have psychic powers and why is there like the digital readout that just says oh you know you've got a head meter well, uh, what i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to say now we don't normally say this but if you haven't seen i city i highly recommend you check it out nobody has seen i nobody, city everyone nobody. needs to go see i city should right see, now they should see it and then listen <laughs> to our review because permanently changed. there's nothing i'm gonna hold back with this review because holy fucking shit even if you listen to describe the first two minutes of the movie that's it (laughs) and holy it just gets fucking crazy how has it taken us 10 years to review this holy shit you're missing out you guys don't review any anime anymore this is something you need to review everybody who saw it at the time it's just like cyber city oedo right everyone who saw it at the time thought nothing of it at that time, just said, eh, this is average, yeah, whatever. whatever. Put it to the side. Next. What else you got? And then years later, like the closest I could find was like, oh, Justin Savakis reviewed it like a couple of years ago. And he's like, eh, this is nothing. It was, this is just it was actually, a, he did a it's pile like, of shame about it. So that was not just a whatever. This is a garbage. It was like a thing that he hadn't watched. Yes. And this is like, oh, this isn't very good. It looks kind of cool, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, whatever. You can't really see this thing anyway. It's like, okay, listen, guess what? 
now that you go back and you watch this stuff like this, you're like, okay, this is why anime exists. So <laughs> is the complete lack of any sort of logic like, filter anything, yeah. or, uh, it, on anybody. I feel, like, I feel like the production team sat down in a room. I, what do you want to I, do? I, basically, they said, I want to do psychics. No, I want to do robots. No, I want to do... I want a robot. I want a, well, I want a hot chick in a Playboy bunny, I want a bunny outfit, outfit with a gun. I, I want a cyber... I want, well, I want a hardlock detective. Yeah. Well, I want a cute... Well, that was, like, did well, I did want they a guy at any point the, say no to anything? Like, I don't think I so. <laughs> I hope the answer is no. I want to hope that if you get the source manga that has nothing to do with this whatsoever... <laughs> But let me. Justin Savakis said it was loosely based. Yeah, loosely. I, I'm very curious about checking out this manga. It's only two volumes, the entire thing. So let me try. The average rating on this, the anime news network, is six out of ten, wow. and I think that needs to be way, way higher, or way, way lower, one or the other, depending on. This occupies some extreme. One thing this is not is, is average. So <laughs> this is, let me try to piece together the rest of the story. Just hang on for a second and let, let me take you for a ride here. K, the guy, and I, his girlfriend or wife or lover. We're not too sure what she is to him, but we're given some... But she's like eight years Hold old. Hold on. This is, I'm talking about the flashbacks. The flashbacks oh, okay. that where we see him on, we know that they love each other because they're on the beach together and nobody, no two people go to the beach who don't fuck. And so. I think he got a boner? Like, maybe? Yes. I'm not sure what yes. happened. There was well, she was topless, and she did lose her hat, just like in Kimagari Orange Road. Right. Makes you think, huh? And so, what we can gather is they were possibly experiments done by a corporation for the purposes of, I don't know. Things? Things, reasons. Stuff and, and the, things. At the time... I think a horrible accident happened. D hold on, hold on. And then they happened after the accident? Well, Or before? Hold on, uh, yes. Well, we're going to try to piece that together. Because of this experiment, a clone of I was made, which K discovers while doing his laundry. He is literally doing his laundry... Garfield steps out, says, hey, check this out. He walks around, <laughs> goes into a random fucking room that is just there. And in the room is I in a vat of liquid. He takes her out. Now she's a very young girl who thinks Kay is her dad. So he is in a very strange situation now. Well, you know, the girls nowadays love to call their fuck puppets well, daddy. Say, so are this you is saying ahead of that it. this one like, legitimately is allowed to use daddy because it's all fucked yes. up and it's not like, right. appropriation? And so that now, yes. Oh, yes, that's right. That's the other part of that joke. Yes. The gay community. So they need to make their way into a, the corporation's giant building, which is ribbed for her pleasure and is run by the <laughs> Blue Man Group. I it just looks like a cake. I, it, it's ribbed for her pleasure, Clarissa. Okay. And it's that run by Blue Man. Yes, it's run by Blue Man Group. Right. Um, they're trying to make their way in there for I don't fucking know why. <laughs> and during the process, they are pursued by a very beautiful man. Two very well, I think he was supposed to be, but yeah, uh, come on, you you were you liked him, right? The thing is, Everyone. I feel like the designs in this movie were like it was like they wanted to do something that looked really cool and of the time, but their design staff was just not very good, and so everything actually just kind of missed the mark of actually looking cool <laughs> and just looked kind of awkward or weird. Hey, I think that the big bad guy in there was amazing. He was a combination of Shredder, Lockjaw from He-Man, and... Shredder and Krang, I'm sorry, <laughs> not Shredder. 
Krang? No, no, you're thinking of the other guy. The other guy. Oh, okay. You're, remember, there was a weird, like, there face there mask there, There's a guy, thing. there's right. a face mask thing. He's a combination the of Shredder. The Jigen from Lupin the Third. Yeah, Shredder, Lockjaw, yeah. and The Claw. He's basically those three people combined together, but when you take off his mask, he is just the most generic. He's just a dude. He's just a dude with a mustache. He's just a bartender from Akira. Yes, the bartender from Akira, literally. And during this process, they are pursued by this beautiful man who has got these stereotypical Chinese sidekicks who throw the heads from Rick and Morty at them. And eventually, after about half the movie, K2 gets clothes, and her choice of clothing is to wear a bunny outfit. Well, well, no, 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 it's she, weird. She has a sexy dress. She, she and, puts yeah, yeah. on like a weird, like combination of like stockings and leotard corset thing yes. whatever and then the guy that she has inexplicably started this romance with who is the old man detective who's age 34 right. yes and, and this man, relationship 34. makes no sense whatsoever but fine uh <laughs> clearly just the wish fulfillment stand in for the the writer or the director who's like man i wish this chick would be hot for me and so she was and then he makes some comment about it could only be better if she was a bunny girl and then in the next scene and then in the next scene she found she's bunny a bunny ears. girl yes i don't know where yes, there's no she psychically got the between scenes along with the cuffs <laughs> as well because that's the other part of the bunny girl she wasn't a bunny girl until he said you could be a bunny girl yes. in that <laughs> And then, inexplicably, it shows the cat now has his shades and a cool cat outfit. Right. The Where did the fed. cat find and clothes that were the, the made to fit? The clothes were in the, in the cat's yes. size in this boutique of, like, is this luxury. A, is this a normal thing that, like, they sell Miami Vice-looking clothes for animals? It was the 80s, Clarissa, or in this case, the 2080s. I don't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let me see if I think I have figured out the password. Uh, so I think that we are going to talk oh about God. that Oh my God, speaking shit. of stuff that came out of fucking nowhere. Hold on. Okay, are, yes. so uh, this, this all ties Christ. back into the flashback, right? So yeah, I... it all started with the terrors of science and science is a heavily regulated industry where you have to like do things under clean conditions, and especially when you're dealing with biology. The most hilariously incorrect genetics. So, yes. <laughs> so naturally, seen. the thing that you do when you've got like some sort of highly contaminant specimens and are doing like DNA experiments is bring your cat into the lab. Exactly. And this so the terrorist cat being a terrorist and a cat ends up by virtue of its existence, contaminating the experiment, dooming humanity in its biological diversity ecostructure to this hellscape that the present day exists in. Somehow the company that was doing these experiments, which is totally trustworthy because its name is fraud. <laughs> um, ends up uh, utilizing this technology to their own advantage to create all sorts of super psionic people and augmented individuals and the like, but not without great human cost because they are like all evil organizations such as Black Ghost and Cyborg 009 and Kick Hider. They're some sort of Ishinomori-esque plot where they abduct people against their will and do horrible experiments on them to turn them to unleash their psychic abilities. No, I so they get the guy and they get the girl and the girl has super duper psionic powers but they push it too far and she's killed and the guy is a defect his power level only goes up to five but 
they do whatever on him to give him. And I bet you forgot about this. He's got the 108 points on yes. his body that have been enhanced, which never comes up nope, again. Ever. It's one line just before that fight. Right. And that's right. It. And then is never mentioned afterwards or prior and he doesn't seem to exhibit any sort of particular physical aptitude and what the fuck this. does that even mean but, about that being the number of like earthly desires that's that, a, is that like a Buddhism thing Chinese like, uh, medicine okay. the sort of fist of the north star 108 stars uh, Suikian okay, okay. stuff that also transfers into the chi of the body I wasn't body. sure if that was an that's actual you know, thing or if that was just another piece of bullshit that it's still bullshit, <laughs> but it's just but it's not uh, unique rudimentarily thought right. out. And so he's a defect. And so as a defect, because it only goes up to five, his role in fraud is to do menial labor, such as being the psionic janitor or the guy <laughs> whose job is to do psionic laundry. However, because the girl was so powerful, they decided we'll take her DNA and grow another copy of her in the vat. This is where the terrorist cat comes into play play and says, hey, they're regrowing your girlfriend in this vat over here. It's still her, but it's only been some short amount of time, and so she's now got the body of a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or a small child thereof. And so that's where he's like, okay, I'm busting you out of here, and we're going on the run. In the meantime, they run into Detective Ryden, who somehow is a hard-boiled cop who gets thrown off the force because he's trying to investigate fraud, and yet he loses his job, and then his wife leaves him. Somehow they meet him as a getaway to investigating and that is where the story picks up that's where they're like okay we have got to investigate fraud and bring him down and draw to light all their evil crimes but none of this is ever explained no. i just made all of that up. <laughs> it is all done completely out of order with one little line here or there that you just have to like extrapolate out and try to figure out the story on your own how i look at this is i feel like this is almost like the first anime mockbuster i feel like somebody sat down with an early early draft script of akira and was like fuck we can make something better than this we got to get our movie out before akira does because there is so much from this that is pulled directly out of akira even the bike gangs when the bike gangs swerve that you see that that uh light effect that akira is known for where the the light just sort of dissipates over time they even mm. use that effect in this, even though this movie was out two years before Akira was. So you think they had to beat Beat Street yes. and get iCity out? Yes. Because this was a TV movie, I believe. I don't think this came out in the this theaters. This was a movie. I this was a was theater, like a... theatrical movie. Okay, I don't remember, because it is theatrical movie length, and it is a film, but I just don't know if it actually came out in theaters oh or not. Oh my god, not. I would love to have seen the people coming out of the theater. theater. <laughs> After I City, being no. <laughs> like, no, I feel like this must have been like a direct to OAV kind of feature. I, I don't know. So if there was a theatrical thing, maybe it was just like for a few days, just to like promote the release, because it doesn't seem like it has quite a theatrical film movie budget. It's, got, it's widescreen. It it's is, proper no, widescreen. No, it looks pretty is, bad at some points. It, uh, yes. Yeah, but but to to your point, Gerald. Yeah, it is done in theatrical aspect ratio. It is got like a movie and credits crawl. It's definitely a film. I just don't know if it was because, again, a lot of that stuff at the time, it's hard to tell because Project Daco was not done in theatrical aspect ratio, but it is a theatrical film. Right. Similarly, like this, I feel like it was mainly an OAV production. But the line is so blurry that it almost doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All you have to know is that it's a movie. We, we need. We should talk about the completely useless other, I guess he's a villain in this. 
You mentioned Krang, Daryl, and I knew who you were talking about. There is another villain who shows up who is the size of a normal human being, but his head... He's a naked old man. A naked old... A tiny naked old man sits inside a vat of liquid on top of this robot's head. A robot body that is built for him. I don't know if they're trying to say, like, oh, if he's exposed to the elements, he'll die, or what have you, but... He is tremendously psychically gifted and is scheming to take over fraud from the evil leader Jigen, a.k.a. Akira Bartender, yes. who's got himself his clone vat army of bitches and hoes <laughs> and also yes, um, there's a, underlings. Yeah, suddenly out of nowhere while battling in the building, a bunch of lady... How many times does this entire building explode <laughs> such that it does not somehow bring down the entire building? We see the outside shots of the building. It's like that first episode of Cyber City Oedo where the building is like two inches wide, but just goes up for miles. When that thing exploded, it at least had the decency to tip over. This thing... I estimate at least nine psychic battles occur that result in all windows exploding out, cut to an exterior shot of a giant explosion, and this building is not raised to the ground as a result of that. It just keeps happening. Right. But one time it happens is right at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, this is totally nuts. Again, when you're ribbed for her pleasure, you can stay erect. Again, stuff just happens in this movie. Like, Clarissa, you mentioned that they just suddenly get guns. Again, it feels like Akira. Remember when... Uh, well, no, I mean, the guy had Connie, the gun from an earlier the scene. The guy brought the gun, just, but it's so What effective. is the point like, of having all the psychic fucking powers, powers if yes. the solution if to this gun. climactic yes. fight is a gun? And now like, my assumption right. was that well, it was not just that climactic fight, multiple ones. And then the robot, the super duper robot that they build to abduct her is defeated by an ordinary ass right. pistol. Not even the super laser like, basically, gun. Basically, the psychic no. powers could have been removed from this entirely and nothing would have substantially changed. But I think that that is the excuse for everything happening. Like, I'm pretty I, I want to believe that that gun, that that big old gun that they had was just like some sort of psychic energy gun. Because yes, it concentrated powers, yes. but it doesn't wouldn't matter because they never say this. I am making excuses for this movie, <laughs> and when you're doing that, you're he feels real bad when she kills his friend, and then they become friends later because of nothing, such that they're trusted to the angel cop. Please kill me for the sake of stopping the psychic. And by the way, then suddenly this big bad guy again. I'm not entirely sure what leads to this because I've watched this movie a couple of times. And it still doesn't make sense. It's in the DNA. The, yeah, the DNA goes crazy and creates this giant, enormous eye tentacle beast that they have to fight. But this is triggered by the secret password, which this is why I want to believe that the city, that this is set in iCity. Because you know what the password is that causes everything to go haywire? Apparently the password is iCity, but there's yes, never been any mention of a password before. Just suddenly, the right. cat runs up to the little girl, the cat runs stares up to the girl deeply into and her eyes, her, and she's the, just like, the password is cat eyes. Yes, and then the password's iCity, and that unlocks, that causes the villain to remember the memories of having been cloned from however many people, because now that Earth's biodiversity has been compromised, there's all these clones being built, so he was presumably a clone of the original scientist. Is that scientist what it was? Were they actual to, clones, or was it just that bullshit, like, the genetics I, have repeated? Or, I like, thought that it was, I, I honestly thought that it was a like, different dimension. And, like, was the dimension. cat a clone? Was the cat immortal? <laughs> A cat, a clone from the cat that caused this whole tragedy. I choose to believe either yes 
or it's the same cat trying to atone just for its sins. Cat. Cats don't atone for their sins. My, my excuse was that it was a different dimension. That what we were looking at was that scientific experiment that took place in one dimension, and then they opened up. Just because a dimension got ripped open, open in time and space within the first ten minutes of the movie, yes. that caused the lady's clothes to be ripped off, and for her to and lose her memory, sucked in, and then exits entirely of her own volition, except loses her memory and her clothes, and falls in love with you know Ryan. And the thing is, uh, the you, detective. All of this is valid. Does not mean that's another. Oh, God, and then the infuriating valid. ending, which I still don't <laughs> fucking understand. That, what, what, a, what a tremendous finale. Looped. Like, I repeated <laughs> it's for a no reason. No just, uh, a reason. Like, why? They, and they didn't even have to do that. They killed everybody. They resolved everything. He was finally going to get his dick wet. Why did it? And why did it repeat? They all just vanish and reset right back to where the movie began. Right, like, why? There's no reason for this. There's no explanation. It just happens. It's amazing. I love it. It, oh it is God. one of those. It ends on a screenshot that I'm just going to throw at you guys now. Because I actually didn't notice this when I watched it the first time. Oh, you're not talking about the stinger at the end of the credits. You're talking about just where it freeze frames before it goes to credit. This is, yes, the freeze frame on the credits where you just see like the full building and then other details on the building. You could come up with any explanation for this and it's all valid because none of this makes any sense whatsoever. Your mileage may vary with this because you could easily argue that this is not bad enough to go all the way back around to being like amazing. Or you could argue it does, because I was absolutely enthralled. This is a movie where you cannot look away no. from <laughs> anything I was, at any point. I was enthralled the entire time to see how much stupider it would get, because a part of it was me trying to figure out what the hell was happening the entire time. Again, as we said, virtually everything that we've talked about... I think in... the what is very clear. The why is... No, I don't think the what is uh, clear at all. Story. I don't think anything is clear in this, Daryl. I think all the things you've been talking... I think he's all the things, a special man all the things that you... who has psychic powers, <laughs> who is... Super psychic powers. ...fighting for justice and clobbering <laughs> evil in the name of goodness. I think that is very clear. I think that, and, yes. And, and communicated concisely and properly... To viewing audience with no ambiguity. No, that is. But why? That is the question. Let's see the screenshot. Oh no, I was no, I just <laughs> the screenshot of this uh, the stupid building at the end, which I didn't know that this was at the top of the building, which makes it even better. Um, right. See, the rib for her pleasure has some sort of weird fucking just thing at the top of it. Again, no explanation for this whatsoever. You could argue that this is in fact. Proof of the flat earther conspiracy oh, theory. God. Um, one could also argue that this reifies my personal theorem that this is in fact New York, but I count multiple Chrysler buildings. I don't know. But yes, that is in fact what's at the top of the building. Um, it's, it's art, man. Yeah. No Look, one when, saw you're, it coming. when you're that rich, but, um, when you're that powerful, nobody can tell you to not do something. No one's going to. Right. And also, I, I'm not sure how the structural integrity of this place is keeping up because even if you're ribbed for pleasure, <laughs> once you punch multiple holes straight through from one side to the other, you got to deflate. That's my only stance on that oh, topic. Oh. There's no context for anything given in this <laughs> film, I City, and therefore everyone should go see it. Unfortunately, there's no Blu-ray. There's no stream. No. The only commercial release of it was on VHS, but there are true patriots in this world because somebody made a fan sub or a digital encode maybe not the most 
OCR minded of encodes, but nonetheless, it is there. It is out there. You can go download yeah, the this DVD other that came out means. some years ago. Is very very out of print. Only in Japan. Never came out in the U.S. Yes. I don't think. It's only ever been released on VHS here. Again, uh, it was something that I just thought nothing of. I don't even know if I even bothered to watch it because it seemed like it was so nondescript and nothing. But it turned out that there was dynamite hidden inside that plain nondescript wrapper. Like, uh, and so, I feel like even if this isn't your type of movie, it is just such a weird thing that exists that I feel like you would get some sort of entertainment out of it. Even if the entertainment, well, you know, um, in my opinion, was looking at Clarissa's face as this movie was going well, along. <laughs> she was triggered. What can you say? This is a very <clears throat> triggering movie. Of the legendary trigger, as a matter of fact, is what caused everyone to freak out because you know they got triggered. This very triggering movie it is so strange. The entire time you're just there trying. It's almost as if somebody needs to go back and put like a filter on this movie whenever there's a flashback. So at the very least. You know when you're watching something that's supposed to take place before another time. And that might help out a little bit. But it doesn't help well, maybe. a little bit, maybe. But it doesn't help very much. So I highly recommend everyone go and try to track down iShitty. Find this. Experience this. Maybe part of this is this movie came out and Otomo went and saw this movie and was like, shit. This they got to top, top it in every way. I'm going to dedicate the next two years of my life to being everything this movie is and much better and actually make sense. And to his credit, he did that. So right, but so I mean, I, I I believe that there is a true patriot named Helen McCarthy who has this to say about I City in 500 essential anime movies. It has quote <laughs> one of the best endings in anime. Yeah! <laughs> Yeah! So who are we? <laughs> who are we to question Helen McCarthy for putting over I City and everything and its greatness? You know, we, we didn't even, I feel like there's like 30 things that we did not even scratch the surface oh. of in this 80 minute yeah, film only or however minutes. long it's it is. It's only 84 minutes. Yeah. It's a, not even a, it's not even a long movie and it is the most jam packed movie jam packed right. with goodness there's and, no and there's, action and this greatness. movie doesn't have any kind of concept of like taking a breather or like letting things sink in or <laughs> no it just shit is happening constantly yes constantly lots of action it's from action comics only <laughs> not dc action comics <laughs> oh I don't even know if there's anything more to say. Like you said, Daryl, I don't I even... I think there's, there's either nothing more to say or infinitely more things to say. <laughs> Much like iCity itself. I want all you podcasters out there... Yeah, now everyone who's listening to this, it's not a lot of people, but yep. every single one of you who's listening to this probably has your own podcast, yep. your own YouTube series, or something like that. Go forth. Go and consume iCity, and then spread it to your gospel, to your followers. The only thing we can do is end by playing the, uh, the song, song that will explain everyone in its entirety. It has been suggested to us to put our episodes up on YouTube. When we do so, we'll have to remove music so they don't get YouTube strikes. So if we do end up someday putting this episode onto YouTube, the song in question will not be on there. So you have to just go to our website at www.animeworldorder.com and download the actual episode to hear the glory of... This song, it just explains it all. Um, it's it's you like, know, uh, do you, you ever heard really, the... I don't even know why we did this review. We should have just played the song a couple times on did loop, you, uh, did, and, and then I think you would have gotten uh, did it. You, did you like that, that end song to Ninja Turtles, T-U-R-T-L-E, Power? 
Yeah, that was very accurate yes. description. Uh, Raphael was the leader of the bunch <laughs> and, you know, all that other factually accurate information about the film, which you just saw. Very much so is this song from iCity being about psychics and what have you. So although I feel like I have a million more things to say, I will leave it at that. Let us know what you think. I want to know when you people go and see iCity, you have to let us know either in the comments of this episode or in email, but preferably comments just so we can read them. There was a time when we weren't getting our emails to let us know we have comments that is fixed now, finally. Uh, but Clarissa, what are your thoughts on iCity to close out? <laughs> a warning or an encouragement? Oh, it, man. It's infinite, I mean, like, like the head eater. Yes. <laughs> it, you know, it's weird because it's like, I can't say that it is a good movie, but it's certainly fascinating. I can say it's a good movie, but... I can understand exactly where you're coming from. It's a movie you can't look away from is, I think, a very good descriptor, don't you think? Uh, yes, it's going to be a challenge to find a one suitable image to embed for this episode that we feel is uh, truly representative of ice. We were talking over in all its We were majesty. talking over Clarissa, by the way. Clarissa, do you have any more thoughts? I thought you got oh, I'm just no, make sure. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've kind of covered everything. <laughs> See, we had to go back to our roots. We've been doing too many reviews of like new shows. We got to go back to the purpose of this podcast. Well, look, it just bring... it took a really long time to recover from Crystal Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Years, apparently. <laughs> so now how long will it take us to recover from iCity? <laughs> well, next time, I believe I'm finally due for Gundam 00. Yes. So that's the one that'll take a little longer to actually watch through just by virtue of it being longer than 80 yeah, minutes. Yeah, we're going to be uh, um, marathoning are, are we, that. Yeah, are we, gonna, so. are we just going to marathon that, Gerald? <laughs> I think we should just marathon as much as we can. Why not? Or we can do it in one or two, two sessions, maybe, or something. However you want to do it. We will. Yes. Up next, Gundam 00. Thank you, people on twitch one man yes that's not the right way to end so check out our podcast at www.animeworldorder.com email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com thank you so much for listening this is <laughs> that was i city i hope you guys enjoyed it and please go out and watch this and let us know what you think after you he's got holy power he's a man he's a special man he's a psychic fighter fighting for justice for the peace of our lives every day and I call his name when in trouble he'll be there to save you He's a man born to rescue space from an evil and knows She can see thousands miles away, he's got super psychic power. Lovely evil in the name of goodness, search for truth and love, send him waves, running in danger. That is find you Mystery Mystery Our man Fighting for a life Here's a man Mystery Our man Wishing peace in space Here's a man
crown and eagle and moles. He can see thousands miles away. He got super psychic power. 